God bless you, man. Remember that, man. That's right. That's right. God, come on, man. Bless you. Walter Harvey. Yeah. All this last week, just had dinner Thursday yeah. night with yeah. him, one of my bestest the friends. Bishop. He is the bishop. He He's is a godly bishop. man. Yes, he is. I'm so thankful for your leadership. Amen. So God. thankful. Pastor was just telling me how you just joined the team here in the leadership yeah. and what a big deal it is. Got appointed again. I love Something that. Appointment. I love that. Appointment. I love that. Would you give Pastor Gettis a big hand and just tell him we love him? Thank you for reminding me and putting that. What a divine appointment that day, that day was. And thank you all for letting us have a little moment in front of you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you got to have those moments. And uh, I appreciate you reminding me of that. Dr. Chan was there at that time, too. And gosh, that was an amazing deal. How, how all of us were there for three different things. And then we met together for breakfast. And that was an amazing deal. I still am waiting for some way to be a part of the National Black Fellowship. Yeah, I know. Walter keeps telling me, but I got to get my percentages in the church up. And now I'm not even a pastor, so I don't know if I have hope, but I'm going to try to get in there some way or another. I'm telling you, that's a wonderful, wonderful group of men and women of God and our fellowship. And uh, in fact, I think it's worthy. Would you just thank you. Thank you for what you guys are doing. Big, big, big deal. And uh, just so thankful for... If you don't know Bishop Walter Harvey, who is the national director uh, out of Wisconsin, uh, he just resigned his chair. He just moved into a type of position like me to take on the National Black Fellowship. One of the greatest spiritual fathers, apostolic spiritual fathers in our movement. Incredible, brilliant man of God. Brilliant man of God. He's on our CMN lead team. Just meeting with him Thursday night for about an hour and a half, two hours, just strategizing how can we raise up spiritual fathers in our inner cities and our pastors and just, man, just an amazing deal. Uh, anyway, God, I love being with you guys. This has just been an amazing time for me. I called home and told my wife, I said, man, I love this place. I was taking pictures of how beautiful it is here. And she goes, well, I'll tell you, I wish I could have been with you this time because one of the goals, and this is serious, one of her goals is to be here in Minnesota when it's not winter and it's beautiful and, and fun and nice and all that. That was one of your goals too. Well, you met it. Here you are and we're here. But I hope that we'll get to come back and she gets to come back. She sends her love. Jenny is a wonderful woman of God. She's incredible. We met in high school, fell in love in high school. We were in choir class together and I used to try to sing my way into her heart. That didn't work. And so I just had to pray. <laughs> and uh, finally, after about four and a half years of us dating, we got married. And now we've been married 30 years in November. And uh, she's an incredible lady. Yeah. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for that. Like, just golf clack on, you know, it's been 30 years, okay? All right. Yeah, yeah thank you. Man, I'm excited about uh, tonight. We're not going to take a long time, but I do think the word God's given me tonight is incredibly significant. In fact, tomorrow morning, I want to share with you kind of my life message, kind of what's happening in my life and season of 
what it means to be an apostolic spiritual father and really what I believe God is calling every one of us, men and women. You say, women, how can you be a father? Well, it's very much kind of like I can be a bride of Christ. Okay, it's the same concept in Galatians. Paul says, uh, you are all sons in Christ, which is incredibly powerful, subversive. I know that many of our new translations make it, you are all sons and daughters, but the real power of the statement is that you are all sons is the context that daughters didn't have an inheritance and they didn't have rights and they didn't have a place of position. So Paul was saying, men and women, you are both sons. You are both people of power and of inheritance and of anointing and of significance. So it's really a powerful statement there. And so we were thinking about being the parent initiative, but it just seemed in the Malachi 4 talking about in the last days, Elijah's going to come and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to sons and daughters and sons and daughters to fathers, that that's the day we're living in. I'm going to talk about that in the morning. So it's not just for men, it's for women, it's for every single one of us. And it's going to be powerful. It's about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ getting bigger and better and stronger with every generation. Can you say amen to that? So I hope you'll be here in the morning ready for that. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm in a, a group of people here that you guys are hungry to grow and to learn and to develop and to become the full potential of what God has for you in your life or you wouldn't be at the prayer and fasting uh, retreat. You wouldn't be here for this. I mean, you're here because you want to grow in God. You want to grow in that. You know, from early on in my life, man, it was just like, God, I want to do something significant, man. I just want to make a difference. Oh, my gosh, I can't go any further without talking about Clarence St. John. God, I honor you. I just went back and hugged his neck and whispered in his ear and just said, you are a leader among leaders and a father among fathers, and you are a spiritual apostolic father for our fellowship. And I love you and I honor you. And I said that privately, but now I just got to say it publicly. We honor you. We are on your shoulders and we honor you with our faithfulness and our, our life. Thank you for all that you do and are doing now. And so can we honor our pastor back there? Pastor, I just want you to know that Pastor Mark was talking about you before you got here and talking about how much he loves you and honors you. And what's so I know what honors you is that this district is stronger than ever. And that it's going to a whole other place because Pastor Mark's on your shoulders. It's getting bigger, better, and stronger. Thank you for that. Amen. That was an, a, a good moment. That was an honoring moment. And that moment... God smiled on just now. There is going to be an even greater level of, of blessing on your life because of your honor. You are responding correctly. <laughs> Amen. That's not always true in America church. We, we are shy sometimes to honor because maybe somebody's going to get too big of a head or somebody's going to feel too much of themselves or something. And so many people have even felt like they've ordained by God to keep us humble. Sometimes people say, God's put me here to be like a devil's advocate. I said, like he needs a friend. I honor you as a fellowship 
that you honor your elders and you honor those who have served you well. You honor them and God's blessing will be on your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Tonight, I just want to tell you, I've done everything I know how to do to keep growing. And I mean, I read, I mean, I, I, I listen to podcasts. I have a growth team. I have a whole group of people around my life. You say, yeah, I got a growth team too, like my staff. Yeah, I'm not talking about a growth team that like executes your, your business and your work. I'm talking about I have a team around me that is totally looking at me in, in, in ministry to help me get better. I want to be a better husband and a better uh, a dad. And so I have my counselor, my Christian counselor, I'm meeting with every two weeks for, you know, for two hours so that I can be better emotionally as a pastor and all that, but also to grow in who I am as a person so I can be a better dad, a better husband, working on our marriage. I have mentors in my life to help me to be a better pastor and leader. I have a whole teaching team that their whole job is to help me to teach better and to learn how to communicate better. You guys may not know it, but everywhere I go, I adopt a teaching team. Jarvis and Noah are on my teaching team. You may not know it. But every last night, this morning, and before tonight, they're in my room, they pray with me, and I speak the whole message to them and ask them to give me feedback on what made sense, what didn't make sense, how can I do it better? Did this hit your heart? Let's work it through. What is God saying? Because I don't want to ever have, every one of us has blind spots, every one of us have deaf spots, and every one of us have dumb spots. And we need people in our life who are helping us in those. So I have a growth team. But can I give you, I'm going to be very vulnerable in this and tell you, but two years ago, I hit a wall. Personally, in my growth. Like, I'm a pretty, like, let me just put it this way. On my growth team, two of my growth team have actually told me they had to step up their game in their growth to stay up to be on my growth team. Okay, that's not bragging. I'm just telling you, I'm pretty focused on this. But two years ago, I hit a wall, slammed my head right into that wall. And for whatever reason, for two years, I did everything I had been doing. But I wasn't growing. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about me. I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading the books, I'm praying, I'm doing doing everything like I was. But I wasn't growing like I was. Something was wrong. I talked to my growth team. We could, you know, and it took, it took me a while until one day it came to me and God revealed to me what it was. You know what the wall was? My self-esteem. The way I saw myself. God helped me to become aware of this fact. It is impossible for me to grow beyond how I see myself. Let me say it again. You will never grow beyond the way you see yourself. Your self-esteem becomes a lid to your growth. Now, 
How many of you know that right now, if let's just use the measurement of one to 10, 10 being like an incredible great man and woman of God, nine being, wow, you're awesome, eight, seven, six, you got it all the way down. Let's say right now, if if you're younger, when you're younger, you may say, I'm a four or five and I'm growing and I'm growing. Maybe the way you see yourself is a six or a seven. And so you're at a four and five, but you see yourself as a six or a seven. So you can keep growing and growing and growing and growing. But it's when you hit that seven or that six, you stop growing because this is as big as I thought I could ever be. So tonight, some of the things I'm talking to you about, it may hit you because at some point, some of you may see yourself as a six and God wants to take you to a seven in the way you see yourself. Because actually some of you, God's called you to be a nine, but you see yourself as a six. And guess what? God may call you to be a nine, but if you see yourself as six, God can't even help you. God can't even get you past the six if that's how you see yourself. This is what happened to me. That I just, I just was stuck. I didn't even know what to do. So you know what I started doing? When, it, when God showed me that and it, I became aware of it, I started changing all of my growth focus on identity, self-esteem, who God says I am, reading the scripture, reading books about identity, reading books about who God says I am and, and what, listening to people preach on these subjects, got my growth team around me, helped me to grow, build into me who God says I am and, and helped me call this out so I can become aware of this. So for the last two years, the primary focus of my life has been to seek God to give me a revelation of who he's called me to be so I can come in agreement to it. I'd like tonight for the next 20 minutes to share with you some of the biggest things God's shown me in the last two years on this subject. Is anybody interested in hearing? Probably the biggest thing that God began to teach me on this principle was with the life of David. You know King David. Most of us, if we say David, if you ask people about David, they go, I know David and Goliath. I know David as the king, greatest king of Israel. But let's start from the beginning. David is a shepherd boy, and he's, his dad's Jesse. He's got seven brothers. And Samuel the prophet, the greatest man on the planet, okay? He's not just a prophet. He's the one... He's the greatest man of God, okay? Everyone knows this. He's the young man who's grown up his whole life. Not one word has ever fallen to the floor. I mean, God has done everything that he said. He spoke ahead and sent word and said, Jesse, I'm coming. I want you to have all your sons lined up because one of them is going to be the next king. It's a secret. We're not telling everybody I'm coming there, you know, undercover, but I'm coming. I want you to have all your sons ready. And every mom and dad in the room is going, whoa, what if that happened at my house? That would be, wouldn't that be pretty crazy? So Samuel comes to town. Jesse brings his sons out. Here they are lined up. Eliab's the tallest, the oldest. He steps up. And the Bible says even Samuel said, hey, he's probably the one. He's the oldest. He's the tallest. He looks like Saul. He looks like the king God picked first. And he's the guy. And God said, "Uh, he's not the one. So he said, thanks, good to meet you. He stepped back. Son number two stepped up, shook hands, and Samuel goes, good to meet you. You have another, have another, have another. And they go through all of the seven, all the way down. He goes down each one, nope, 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 nope. And when it comes to the end, can you imagine what's going in Samuel's mind? I know God said it's one of Jesse's sons. (laughs) How did I miss it? 
Okay, let's go back through. Which one is it? So finally he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just ask this. Jesse, is there another one? He goes, well, there is one other. But, you know, he's the youngest and he's out. Where is he? He's out with the sheep. He said, well, go get him. <laughs> what are you doing? I told you to have them all out here. Time out. What? Time out. What? What kind of dad? What kind of dad? Has everybody come out but one? What is he saying to David? You're a nothing. You're a nobody. You're a reject. I don't see greatness in you. There's no way you could be the one. There's no, I don't even see you to be son worthy, much less king worthy. There's no other way to read this. And it's not just the family of origin for David was his dad rejected him. If you read Psalm 69, which he wrote was a song, he's writing about his own pain. And in there, it's like verse four or six, he goes, I grew up as a stranger in my own home and among my brothers, I was an alien. So we think of David as this incredible, mighty man of God who raised up mighty men of God. But I want you to understand from the beginning, he came from a family of origin with a dad who rejected him and did not think of him as anything to even bring him before the prophet, much less think he could be the one. You with me? He walks in and right then, God speaks to Samuel and we read it in 1 Samuel 16, 12. The Lord said to Samuel, arise and anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Man, if you got your Bible, that's where you got to underline. In the midst of his brothers in your face. That's what it's saying, in the midst of his brothers. What do you think in the midst of his brothers is? In the midst of his dad, in the midst of his brothers, in the midst of everybody who said he's a reject, in the midst of everybody who said you're nobody. I'm telling you, he said he anointed him the horn of oil, poured it on him in the midst of his brother, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. You got to understand what's happening here. David comes and, and God says, he's the one. And this isn't like anointing oil, like we take the little dab of do you and put a little cross on somebody's head and hallelujah. Nothing wrong with that. We're not talking that. We're talking about a big old jar, horn of oil, that's poured out on the king or on the priest or on the prophet to anoint. They're sacred. They're set apart unto God. They're ordained unto the Lord, every part of you. So do you understand in the midst, here's, here's what's happening. You got, come on, you got to come with me on understanding this. Is that God is saying, this is the one I picked to be my king. He's the one who's going to lead my people. He's going to be the greatest. He's the one who I'm going to say, this is how God sees it. Even before it happens, God already sees it. Come on, you got to come with me. He said, this is the one who has a heart after me. This is the one that my son's going to come in his lineage. It's on the throne of this son that I'm going to bring my kingdom and it's be established. As son of David, come on, all of this is in play. And God is seeing this. But he said, but David doesn't see it and he doesn't believe it. He's in the midst of his father and his brothers who have rejected him. But he's got to know in the midst of the lie, the truth of who I say he is. If he's ever going to realize the calling on his life, I've got to start right now reworking the wiring in his head. So Samuel starts pouring the oil out on his head. Why? 
Let's get it up here. Let's get him thinking right. Let that Holy Spirit oil just start getting in his head. Start getting him thinking right. Let's get it down over his ears so that he starts hearing who I say he is and not what everybody else is saying. Let it come on his eyes so the Spirit will get in his eyes that he sees himself the way I see him. Let it come on his heart so he starts getting in his heart and his heart beats one in agreement with who I say he is. Let it come on his legs and on his hands at what he does and everywhere he goes. He knows he's ordained of me and empowered of me and is resourced by me. Let him know he is covered, anointed, and chosen. His dad says you're a shepherd and a reject, but his heavenly father says you're the one I picked to be my king. Now some of you, it's got to be connecting with you and how you were raised. Some of you may feel like you've never been the first choice. Some of you really feel like you've never even been the second or third or fourth choice. David was the eighth with his dad, but he was the first with God. This isn't about where you line up with other people, because for you, you are the number one choice of who he made you to be. Oh, come on, somebody, you got to hear that. I don't have to be Derek. Derek to be Derek's Derek, and Derek's a great Derek. And as long as he's focused on being Derek, he can be ever the fullness of who God meant for him to be as Derek, and that's awesome. But the moment I start trying to be, man, Derek, Derek, if I could be funny like that, if I could sing like that, if I could look like that, if I could be cool like that, my gosh, he's got every gift there is. Why did God give them all to him? Do you understand how that is? And so we start doing the comparison. We start doing And God says, look, I want you to know. I want my anointing to be all over your life that you understand. I made you who you are, exactly the way you are, exactly where you are. For all of it in order with me. And just be who I called you to be. Come in alignment with who I say you are. But then the passage says this. In the midst of his brothers, he's anointed. And then Samuel leaves. (laughs) Man, it would have been cool if you could have been like Mr. Miyagi saying with Daniel's son. You know, be with David's son. And like every morning wakes up and says, you're the king. Come on, let's practice. Boom. You know, you're the awesome one, right? No, he's off. And now David every day is having to live in the house with a lie. With a dad who still treated him bad. With brothers who still despised him. And every day he had to choose in the midst of the lies all around him. And how the culture and how his family of origin was still playing like a broken record in his head and all around him. He had to keep choosing to believe what God said through Samuel was true. And not what they said was true. In chapter 17, we go to the front line. David's there bringing the cheese and the bread. Goliath's up, he's with his brother Eliab, says, what are you doing here, you little uh, punk? Your, your heart's deceitful, you're up here conceited, you're up here, go home. What are you doing? You're not in the right place, you don't belong here like this, right? Still see the conflict, still see the, 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 the they don't appreciate him at all. That anointing thing didn't do one thing to help them to increase their view of him. All of a sudden, Goliath comes out. And he sees us and says, what is going on? 
I defy the armies of Israel. And David's there and he's going, what is happening? How is this guy? Why isn't anybody going out? And they're going, go home, David. And he says, is there not a cause? What is going on? What is happening? And this whole anointing thing starts coming up inside of him. And all of a sudden he hears two guys behind him. This is, by, this is I'm not mean this is killer. You may not come alive to you like this. This is exactly in the passage. He hears two people behind him talking and they say this. Hey, I wish somebody would go out and kill that guy. Because if they did, you know what Saul said he'd give them. What's that? What did they say? He's going to give them uh, no taxes for the rest of their life, their family of riches, and they get to marry his daughter, Merib. What? That's incredible. David hears it and says, excuse me, could you say that again? You look in the passage. He turns to them and says, can you say that again? Tell me again, what did you just say? No taxes, riches. He said, yeah, but that other part. And he gets to marry his oldest daughter, Merib. He gets in his heart that he's going to go take out Goliath. And so he goes to Saul's tent. But on the way to the tent, you look in the passage, he stops one more time and he asks the guy, hey, right before I go in, can I just ask you one more time, what is it that a guy gets if he kills him? <laughs> you look at it three times he's checking on. How many of you understand if he's checking on it three times like that, it's significant to him. It's a big deal to him. Get it? The guy says, yep. Riches, Mary, his daughter, Merib. Now, this isn't directly in the passage, but I don't think it's too far-fetched to understand that chapter 16, after David is anointed and said he's king and he's a shepherd boy and he knows how to play the harp and he sings and all this, chapter 16 says they send for him because Saul keeps having demons coming at him at night and he can't sleep. And so they send for David to come to the palace to play at night to help Saul go to sleep to get the demons away from him. Everybody with me on this? I just imagine that why he was so pumped up about talking about this is that he's been in there playing the guitar and singing to help Saul go to sleep and he's in the palace. He, he has in his heart this thing that maybe one day he's going to be king. He's going to be king, but he's struggling with who he is and how all that is. And he's walking in here and going, man, I've never seen a place like this. He's freaking out. It's a little intimidating. And he's in there and he's going singing, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, and then Mary walked by and he goes, isn't she lovely? I mean, I'm just imagining he had seen her. And he's going, wait a minute. I get to marry her if I kill him? Do you get this? Why do I say this? Because you read what happens after he kills Goliath. In chapter 18, Saul calls David to the palace to get his prize. And when he comes to the palace, it says that um, he said to David in verse 17, Here is my older daughter, Merib. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. Verse 17 uh, or 18. But David said to Saul, Who am I? And what is my family or my clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So when the time came for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given in marriage to Adriel of Mahala. Am I the only one that that kind of freaks out? I mean, how did that just happen? Adriel didn't kill Goliath. What was going on? What happened? 
Saul comes and says, here's the prize. Here's my daughter. You marry. And then David starts talking about how I don't deserve it. I don't really think I see myself being your son-in-law, being in the palace. This just really isn't something. Do you know who my family is? We don't really deserve it. I'm a shepherd. He started speaking with the identity of his family of origin. And you might say, no, that's humility. That ain't humility. That's pride. You know what a good definition of pride is? Thinking you know more than God. How many think that's a pretty good definition of pride? Anytime you think what you think is more valid than what God thinks, that's pride. Because you're putting yourself in a position of God. So if God says, David, you're king, but it's in a moment to receive a blessing of a king, but you say, that's not who I am, that's not humility, that's pride. God says, you're a nine. He says, I'm a six. And he hinders the promotion and he blocks the blessing. Because David didn't have a problem having faith in God. His problem was having faith in who he was in God. I like how Dale Miss, and if you want to read a great book that I read, and some of this came out of that's incredible, by Dale Miss, is called, And David Perceived He Was King. And in that book he said, David had faith that caused him to obtain blessings. But his identity didn't enable him to contain it. He had faith, but not the identity. This is, this is a big deal for us, guys. Because I think many of us need to understand in this room, you have been chosen by God. You have been called by God. You have been anointed by God. I'm going to try it again and you can say amen and receive it, okay? You have been chosen by God. You have been called by God. You have been anointed by God. And I know all of us, I'm getting you to step into an agreement on it with your mouth because we've got to start doing that because we can say we know it or we can say amen to it. But until we really know it in here, then, then we'll have it in our faith, but not in our identity. We'll have it in our doctrine, but not in our soul. And if you don't come in agreement with who God says you are, you'll never fulfill the things God is calling you to do. Is this making sense? God's inviting you into this place to say, God, show me who you are. Check this out. You ready? This passage is crazy. Blows me away. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus about this stuff. And when he's writing, you take chapter one, chapter two, even into chapter three, and he's writing all this incredible doctrine. He's writing all this incredible truth. He's blowing their mind with all this stuff. And then in chapter three, you know what he does? He gets so frustrated, like, oh man, I don't even know that they're going to get it. They got to get it. They got to get it. But how are they going to get it? Because I know I struggle to get it. How are they going to get it? And so in chapter three, look what he says. He's just stops his doctrinal teaching and all that and says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives his name and I pray. Isn't that weird? In the text, he tells you what he's doing. I'm going to stop right now just writing and I'm going to start praying what I'm praying. I'm going to start writing what I'm praying. 
He gets so overwhelmed. It's like now I pray for people and I'll text them as I'm praying. Praying for you right now. Praying that God touches your body. Praying that God gives you strength. Praying. That's what he's doing in the text. He's praying and writing his prayer. Look what he says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father for whom every family in heaven on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, in your identity. In here, in who you see yourself to be. I pray the Spirit of God, by His glorious riches, would strengthen you in here so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that He'd be inside of you and you know who you are in Him. Check out the next part. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Let me see. Anybody in here part of God's holy people? then check it out. Even in this passage, he ain't just praying for the Ephesians. He's praying for us. He's praying for you and me who's reading this, that every single one of us would be rooted and established. That means our identity would totally be rock solid in the fact I'm the one God chose. I'm the one God anointed. I'm the one who God picked to do what I'm doing. I stand here today rooted in his love. That is what? It is something I've got to grasp a hold of. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Oh God, I'm praying. There's no way they can, we can really get it with our head. It don't make sense. It's going to have to be a supernatural revelation of your spirit that we get a hold of who we are in you. But man, if they could just get it, if they would just see who they are in you, that you may be filled to the whole measure of all the fullness of God, which means that you would move from the way you see yourself as a six and come into agreement to how God sees you at the nine. You'd read the full, you wouldn't have any limitation on who he's called you to be. Wow. Now to him who is able. Now to him. Now I know a lot of us have preached that. He's able to do this. He's able to do that. So in the context here, he's going, I've been praying that somehow in the inner being, you're going to come into alignment of who you are in God, who you are in Christ, who he's called you to be. And now I want you to know, I know you are able to do what? Immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. You know what that means? He said, oh God, if they could just know who you called them to be, then they would be able to see so much more and ask for more. There's, if you see yourself as a six, you're only asking for things at a six level. And he's saying, I can do so much more than what you see yourself as. I can do immeasurably more than what you imagine or ask. And I'm praying God that they would see it according to the power that's at work within you. To him be the glory in the church. Guys, I'm not preaching some humanistic message about you getting glory. This is about everybody seeing you fulfilling the calling of God in your life. Coming into agreement with who God called you to be. Even though your dad told you you were nobody. Even your brothers told you you were nobody. Even your teacher said you'll never amount to anything. But the Lord said, I pick you. I anoint you. I empower you. And when you get up and you come into agreement with who he says, I'm telling you there is a glory that comes comes to God and throughout all generations forever and ever amen okay if it hasn't been motivating enough that we would come into the whole measure of what Christ has called us to be let's talk about your kids
There's nothing scarier than an insecure leader. Nothing scarier than an insecure dad and mom. But for you to come into wholeness and to find healing and to find, I come in agreement with who he says I am. I bring that healing. I come in agreement with that. Do you know what kind of freedom that has for your kids? That they can get bigger and better, stronger. And you're not, you want them to do bigger. You want them to do better. You want them to do stronger. You're, you're secure in who God's called you to be. So you can teach them to be secure in who God's called them to be. But you can't give what you don't have. You can't take them where you haven't been. This is huge for generations. Do you realize if you come into an awareness of the revelation of who God says you are, that you're setting up that next generation to come into that same freedom? And you can break the curse of the family of origin crap in your life. This is so powerful. We see it in David's life. That even when David became king, he was still struggling with was it for real? Crown on his head. Sitting on a throne. Do you know, sometimes if we're not careful, it can be, man, if I just ever got elected pastor. I mean, that would be the greatest thing. Well, really, how about what you do when you're pastor? <laughs> that might be more important. And then after a while, if I could just be here this, here's the deal. Stop thinking that your significance is going to come from anybody else. And that your significance is going to come from anything that you do around you. Your significance and your identity has got to be totally founded on just coming simply into agreement with the revelation of who God says you are. So David, I know y'all are going like, okay, we've heard you say it ten times. I know. Second Samuel chapter 5 verse 11. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent envoys to David along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons and they built a palace for David. Then, then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So first of all, I'm going to go back to it, but let's just hit this last part. Guys, everything we're talking about right now is if you don't come into agreement with who God says you are, you cannot fulfill totally to the fulfillment of everything God's called you to do. And this isn't about the sake of your legacy. It's about the sake of the people's souls in your community and in your church and around you and generations to come. This is all about David thought perhaps as a kid is cool. I'm going to be king, not realizing it wasn't so he could be king. It's for the sake of the people of Israel. All of this is that important. Souls are hanging the balance. But go back. It wasn't until a king sent envoys and built a palace for David did he recognize God had established his king. This is why it's so important that we have fathers and mothers who are secure in who they are. And so secure that they can walk around and say, I see greatness in you. I see greatness in you. I don't know if you see who you are, but I see who you are. Whoa. Wow. 
I try every single day, everywhere I go, every person I can come into, if I, I just want to find anything I can to just talk about how great you are, how awesome you are, to pull it out, to affirm you, to help you to see who you are in God. If I don't see the whole, at least I want to reflect back to you the greatness I see in you. And man, I wonder what it'd be like if every one of us started thinking about being a King Hiram. In, in our house, in our church, with people. Do you realize as a pastor, you're kind of a king in that house? And when you walk around and say, man, I see you. God, I see greatness in you. The power you have to call it out. But only a person who's whole and secure will be thinking about that. If you're not whole and secure, you'll be wondering why nobody's doing that for you. King Hiram built a palace. What's a palace? It's a house built for a king so that the king will wake up every day and be reminded who he is. What's the White House? The White House is built for the president of the United States. Does the president of the United States have any other houses to live in? Yes. But while they are president, they live in that house. Why? It's built to remind them who they are. I wonder what it would be like, moms and dads, if your house became a palace for your kids. I'm not talking about fancy and rich and all that. I'm talking about a place that reminds them every day who they are. What if you became a King Hiram for your kids? That you were so secure in who you are and God, you're calling down to them. Do you know who you are, son? Sweetheart, I see greatness. You are the... I see the anointing God. What you just did for your, that is so kind, calling it out, affirming. You say, you don't know my kids, there ain't nothing to affirm. Well, find one thing. Come on, you hear what I'm saying? Find something. I wonder what it'd be like if there were Samuels as moms and dads who didn't just always look at their kids for where they are right now, but like Samuel with David, they called out who they were going to become. And spoke to them with a prophetic anointing. This is who God's calling you to be as a spiritual father and mother in your own home. And it's who he's called you to be as a spiritual father and mother in your church. If you could just see yourself for who you are. Then you would be so secure in here exploding with the love of God that you'd get up and be able to just help everybody else see who they are. And then we could all reach the whole measure of Christ. Not for me to look good or for you to look good, but for people, the sake of the people in our community. So I wonder what lie the enemy has told you or what lies you've kind of bought into over life. Now, I know, y'all are probably going like, God, I thought this was brand fasting. It feels like I'm in the counselor's office all the time. This is what God's saying to us, I think. This is where he's at in here with us. I'll just close it with this. What I mean by this is there's times like David who he kept going back to his dad family of origin issues and it messed him up all the way up even until when he had a crown on his head. Okay, let me just ask you, and this is a moment I'm giving you a chance to confess and be vulnerable. 
Anybody in here identify with what I'm talking about, that there's lies in your head sometimes that you know are not from God, but they keep trying to fight against who God says you are. Raise your hand. If you raise your hand, then you know of at least one lie you need to deal with. Okay? So I'm going to sit down. We'll close it out in a simple way. Just own up to one of mine and show you how the Holy Spirit did it. My freshman year in high school, I went to a new school. It's a new area. So I didn't know anybody in the school. God, I wanted desperately to fit in and be a part. And in my mind, this is how I was thinking, hmm, when I'm playing pickup games at church or in Royal Rangers, you know, I'm, I'm not bad. I can play some ball is what I'm thinking. But I've never played like basketball on a team or anything like that. So I go to tryout. It's varsity, JV, freshman, everybody all at one time because they're putting everybody in to have everybody a chance and then they'll put you on which team they want you to put on. So I go in there and we're just doing a shoot around and all that. Everything's fine on that. Don't know anybody in the room. All of a sudden, the coach blows the whistle and says, everybody on the line, we're going to do the weave. Three lines, three lines. I don't even know what a weave is. I don't know what he's talking about. So they get on the three lines and all the basketball players in here are going like, it's the simplest thing ever. I can't believe what's wrong with you. Well, if you've never seen it, and you don't know anybody in the room. For me, it was pretty intimidating. So I got in the line over here, and I was going like, go ahead, man, go ahead, go ahead. I said, how do you do this thing, man? How do you do this? You just pass the ball and run behind them. Okay, go ahead, show me. Okay, go. I'm letting guys go in front of me. And finally, I try it one time, but I'm so scared, I don't even know if I did it right. And so I just act like I have to go to the bathroom, and I run out to the bathroom. And actually, I just go outside and call my mom and say, come pick me up. Thanks, Pastor Denny. Now, this is not a lie. You didn't know what you were doing. That's true. You didn't know how to do a weave drill. You're totally right. You have not had as much coaching and, you know, organized training in basketball. 100% true. Those aren't lies. That's not the problem. As I sat on the curb, here's what I heard the devil say to my head that I did not realize was the devil. It was a thought in my head. It did not play, you're not good enough to play on that team. You're not good enough at all. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. Any dream and thought you ever had that you thought you were something, you just got exposed and realized you don't. But that lie in my head impacted me throughout my college years and all through my 20s that every time there was something I felt like God might be calling me out to do, I'd go, man, I better not try that. I don't want to try that. I don't have it. I can't do it. Until one time in a service like this, somebody preached something like this and I went to the side and said, God, like layers of an onion, pull that crap off me, get that stuff peeled off me, all that stuff that's layered on me, messing me up, show me the lies so you can pull it back so I can be the whole measure of who you call me to be. Just help me. And the Holy Spirit came and like took me by the spiritual hand back to my freshman year and sat by me on that curb and said, right then the devil told you, you're not good enough. 
I want you to know that's a lie and I want you to reject it. I said, I reject the lie right now that I'm not good enough. And he said, I want you to replace it with the truth. And I said, what's the truth? And he took me to Ephesians 2.10. And the truth is, I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared me in advance to do. I am fully equipped. I am not fully equipped to be anything I want to be, but I am fully equipped to be everything he's called me to be. And so I said, okay, I may not have been ready for basketball, but I am fully equipped for everything he's called me to be in life. Do you see how you reject the lie and you replace it with the truth? And that's how you get free. And that's how you discover who you are in him. Amen. So I want to encourage you. We're done. I want to encourage you to take some time to pray. and Just let the Holy Spirit lead you. I mean, maybe you want to just take 10 minutes. I mean, like we're, we're early. We got eight o'clock is when the videos start. You know, we go to the debate and everything. So you got some time here just to find if you want. If you don't want, don't. But a time to just go off by yourself. You got to, nobody can take this journey with you. You and the Holy Spirit. You just go show me where the lie is. And don't think, you, let me tell you something. I'm on my 28th millionth, okay? It's a little exaggerated, but I'm making a point that I feel like I'm in the same math class. It's just I keep going from second grade to third grade to fourth grade to fifth grade, and you still got math. I got identity things I have to work on constantly so that I can continue to grow who he's called me to be. Guys, it's like the biggest thing you got to steward. Find that lie, reject the lie, and receive the truth. Amen? I want to give you a gift. I wrote a book, my most recent book, called Parenting with Purpose. And it's about the seven keys of raising world changers, raising your kids up to be champions in the kingdom. But with it, what I did is I said, if you don't learn how to be a son, you can't be a dad. If you don't learn how to be a daughter, you can't be a mom. So I made eight videos in a master class that I take you by the hand with the Holy Spirit, like I did my son Dakota last night and said, you got a lie and you got a truth. And I take you through and I said, okay, just me and you talking right now with the video. And I just say, hey, let's pray right now. And the Holy Spirit's going to show you what to do. And then I take you through the truths on eight videos and helping you know how to come into that freedom and how to do that for you and how to do that for your kids. Because can I tell you what I had to do as a pastor one time when God showed me three different lies in my life that was causing me to not be the dad I needed to be. I had to call a family meeting and confess those three lies break them. And then I went over all three of my sons and I say, I break the generational curse that this lie would come on my sons. I break it and I released the truth and I spoke the truth. Then I looked at all of them and I said, Hey, I broke it. I've released the truth. Now you have to have ownership to receive that. Do you receive it? Yeah. Receive it. Yeah. Receive it. I said, then now I'm, you're going to watch dad be different, but now it's on you. It's broken, but you can choose to go back. These are the things I want to teach and help you with on a personal basis. So I'm going to give it to you free. All you got to do is go to parentingwithpurposebook.com. Parentingwithpurposebook.com. And this is the code at the top. It says, do you have a coupon code? You can think to yourself, well, yes, I do. The code is purpose. If you put in purpose, it, uh, you have to do that first. So don't fill out all your email and all the other stuff in yet. Just put in the coupon code, 
purpose, apply. It will mark out the cost of $25. And it'll give you everything. And you'll get the digital copy and you'll get all that. Now, I want you to have it. If you receive it and do it, it will be freedom for you. If you don't, that's okay too. But I want you to have it to be able to activate it. Amen? Pastor, we're going to go into it. But Pastor Geddes, why don't you come up and maybe just pray. And Pastor Jeff, you guys go there and just to kind of set us into that. Amen. Amen.